Good morning. Uh, this is the time when our, our kids are going to head out to Children's Church, so they're headed out that direction to the other building. There's also an attended nursery over there if you need that, and then a, a cry room uh, in the back if you need any of those options this morning. Uh, as Pam said at the beginning, we've got a lot of stuff going on um, uh, today, a lot of, uh, with, with uh, that housewarming party for the Cummins today, other stuff coming up uh, event-wise and calendar-wise, so make sure you pick, pick up a bulletin. Uh, we've got uh, a big event coming up four weeks from, from this weekend uh, is when we'll have uh, Dr. Richard Beck with us for our Illuminate uh, weekend. And so we hope that you will uh, make plans to, to come to that, invite your, your friends, neighbors, whoever else. I've got some flyers out here on the, the coffee bar uh, out here. If you want to take some of those to somebody, we're sending information out to other churches in the area and other people in the, the area, things like that. We think this can be something that... Um, that people from other churches may want to attend, or people that, that don't have a church home, this could be a good introduction to kind of faith conversations, because uh, really the weekend's going to be about this idea that we all find our, our worth and identity and value somewhere, um, and, and because of maybe some, some competing messages that we hear in culture, sometimes culture can lead us down paths that lead us to frustration and, um, and kind of questions and wrestling with some of those things, and, and how can our identity be rooted in Christ in some tangible ways that bring peace and, and purpose and grounding to our lives. Um, and so we think there's some great relevance there for, uh, for us as Christians, for people searching for those types of things, um, many, many different types of people. So that's coming up uh, in about four weeks. So there's, there's flyers out there. I also sent out an email this week about online registration. We're going to try to get kind of a head count of people. That would be very helpful. So you can send that link out to other people as well. And I would encourage you, if you're planning to come, uh, to sign up there as well. We've already had several that, that have done that, so thank you for doing that. Uh, we also do, as Pam said, had several on our, our prayer list. One that I don't think made it on there was uh, Katie Ann's grandfather passed away uh, this weekend. He had been sick for a while, um, and so it's sort of been expected, but anyone who has been through that process knows that even when it's expected, it doesn't take away the, the pain and the grief and, and all that that goes along with that. So Katie Ann and her family are meeting with the funeral home this morning. That's why she's not here with us this morning, so we want to remember her uh, and her family. All right, so that's some of our announcement-y stuff. Uh, I'm going to uh, begin this morning. I'm going to ask some of our teens and, and kids, if you want to, to come help me out with something. Adults can come too, but I thought this would be uh, maybe uh, something our teens would be um, more up for doing. So I, I touched base with a few of them before to make sure we would have some, but here's what I'm going to ask you to do if you want to come up uh, and help. I need some teens, kids, and even adults, if you're really good at charades, this would be great for you, uh, to come up who can help me be expressive. I need to, if you are willing to be expressive this morning, you don't have to say anything, but just express some emotion that I'm going to give you to express. You can come on up. So, yeah, come on up, Zeke. All right, we've got three. Anybody else? All right, Pam's going to do it. All right, give her a hand. We're intergenerational this morning with our volunteers. Thank you, Pam. Come on up. Uh, Zeke, anybody else? One more, one more guy. All right, Aiden, good job. All right, give our, give our volunteers a hand. That's it? Okay. All right, so here's what you're going to have to do. Ready? Ready, Isley? I'm going to give you an emotion, and I want you to express or embody this emotion for us, okay? You don't have to say anything. In fact, you can't use words. Just with your body, I want you to express this, an emotion that I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you a few, okay? Are you ready? 
So I want you to look excited. For all these people out here, can you look excited? <laughs> oh, how great. Pam is... <laughs> All right, y'all are going to have to meet Pam's intensity, okay? Can you do this? Overacting. This is the Jim Carrey school of, of expression here. There you go. All right, now let me see you do angry. I want you to look angry. <laughs> angry. All right, we've got some, <laughs> got some... I see some eyebrows, some fists, lots of built-up tension. That's good. All right, all right. How about, okay, how about fear? Can you look afraid? <laughs> Cowering, that's good. <laughs> hiding, very good. A lot of hiding going on. All right, y'all can come back. Uh, there are actually, there are seven emotions that have been found in, in studies to show that you can go across cultures and there are seven emotions that, that you can pick out. If someone was acting out that emotion, you would be able to tell across cultural lines what they are doing. In other words, people who look angry across cultural lines are going to look pretty much the same. Uh, there's, this, there's this idea of anger that kind of just goes with that. Uh, and so we know what, what anger looks like. Uh, people across cultures, you can tell if we had people up here from across the world, from Japan, from Africa, from, from Russia, from Australia, if we just had people up here and everyone can hear in their own language, look excited, uh, it would look fairly similar. There, and there are seven of these emotions that look fairly similar across cultural kind of divides and gaps, everything like that. Now, this one may be a little more difficult. I want you to look grateful. I want you to express gratitude. <laughs> okay, I was wondering what we would get here. Aiden, do that first thing that you did again. Okay, now that, that was good. I like that. That looked grateful. But I want to ask Aiden, have you ever actually done that to someone when saying thank you? Yeah, probably. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> I was okay that. So yeah, maybe this we're we're looking up grateful. There is no universally kind of widely known expression of gratitude though. Um it it doesn't fit within the the other line of those those emotions. Um all right, y'all can y'all can have a seat. Thank you for that. Um Thank you. You can go sit down. Go on. Uh, so, because there is no universally kind of widely known expression of gratitude, not only is there not one kind of widely known across cultures, but even within one's known culture and context, uh, an expression of gratitude may can be interpreted as, as relief um, or as just satisfaction or even happiness in some cases, or maybe even no emotion at all. Um, and and we, you can probably think of situations where, where this uh, can kind of lead to some maybe miscommunications or um, just other kind of communication issues. So, for instance, um, I'm someone who struggles to, at least I feel like I do, if I get a gift, um, I'm not very expressive all the times in my gratitude, right? And so I may be grateful for the gift, and I may be very excited about the gift, but that doesn't always come out very expressively. And so I feel this, this pressure on Christmas morning to kind of be over the top in my, my gratitude, which then can kind of come out insincere, right? 
uh, because we've all feigned gratitude at some point or another. Uh, I'm assuming, right? Who has, we've, we've done that at some point, right? You've received a gift that you didn't actually really like. Uh, you've been at, your ha- at someone else's house eating dinner and you didn't actually like the food. And, but, and so you've feigned gratitude, right? So you've expressed it, you've said it, but you didn't really feel it in your heart, right? Uh, or maybe that's just me or a few of us. <laughs> um, but gratitude is something that, that is much more difficult to kind of pinpoint as far as expressions or emotions go, because it can look like different things. It can be easily kind of faked. It can seem insincere, all those types of things. And so all that might kind of just seem trivial and, and kind of like surface-level stuff. Um, but with that in mind, here are some questions that I think it kind of leads us to or leads me to that I want us to consider this morning. Uh, questions like these, what do we do with our gratitude? Uh, if I'm angry, it's going to come out um, at some point. I may can keep it bottled up for a while, but it's going to come out. It's going to be expressed, and it's going to lead me to some type of, of action. Same thing with excitement. What do I do with my gratitude, and how do we embody or express our gratefulness? Uh, how do we embody or express our gratefulness? What does that look like in our expressions? Uh, in, in our expressive kind of actions and in our lives. And, and so one of the ways that we do that is, as Christians, as believers, is, is through what we're doing here today, through worship, that worship is, is this expression of, of gratitude that we come and submit ourselves to God and worship and all those types of things. And I think we also see a picture of this kind of embodiment of gratitude in Philippians 4. And so that's where we're going to be this morning Um, And if you want to turn to Philippians 4, you can, or the words are going to be on the screen. And so I'm going to intentionally only read Philippians 4, 4 through 12 right now, and we're going to come back to 13 later. So if you turn in your Bibles, you may be tempted to look ahead. And so if you want kind of the full effect of this scripture um, and the sermon this morning, you can just read along on the screen with us. Uh, Or if you want to have it open in your Bible, that's okay too. We can do that. Um, but Philippians 4, like I said, we're going to read 4 through 12 right now and stop there before we get to verse 13. And because I think we've got some language in here that helps us in kind of this expression of gratitude and that's going to help us in some of our our other conversation this morning. Uh, So beginning in verse, uh, like I said, chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me, Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned 
the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. We're going to stop there. Like I said, we're going to come back to verse 13 later, but we're going to stop there for now. Um, Because I think this whole section... Uh, so at, at the end, what Paul is talking about is this idea that, that the church here, that the, the church in Philippi has had the opportunity to extend some, some gifts and, and probably some funding to Paul. And so he's kind of thanking them for this gift, thanking them for this, these funds that, he is, that they have provided to him and his ministry. And so he says, I, I'm grateful that you have renewed your concern for me. And not, not like he's chastising them for kind of delaying this. He goes on to say, you know, I... I know that you just didn't have the opportunity to do that, and, and now you have, and so I'm grateful for it. But, but I'm thanking you, not because I am in need and, and need this, this money or these fundings, because I have learned what it means to be content in every situation. And I think what he says there is actually tied to everything that came before, uh, right? That we could kind of ask questions like, what, what, what comes first, my, my rejoicing in every circumstance or my, my learning to be content? Am I content because I can rejoice in all circumstances, or do I rejoice in all circumstances that leads to my contentment? And I think the answer to that would be yes, right? That, that, that sometimes those things are, are, are cyclical. Uh, one may come before the other, but all of these things are connected. These ideas of, of rejoicing always, uh, of, of whatever circumstance I'm in, coming before God with thanksgiving and with prayer and petition, having the, the peace of God dwell uh, within my heart and my mind. All of this is connected to contentment. But then Paul says, to kind of to wrap this all up, he says, I have learned the secret of what it means to be content in whatever circumstance I have found myself. Um, that's a secret that I think we would want to know, Right? Uh, most of us have probably found ourselves in times where we have not been content, uh, where we have been wanting for something more, where we've been jealous, jealous or, or envious of something we don't have, where we've been anxious about something going on in our lives. We, we've, we've all at some point or another had, had times of, of discontent. Maybe you are in a moment like that right now, maybe with something, something small in your life that you just kind of can't seem to find contentment with, or maybe with something big and some questions that you've got about life. Man, if someone's got... The, the answer to how to be content in whatever circumstance I find myself, I want to know that, that answer, right? I want to know that secret. Paul says, what, whatever situation, whether you, you're hungry or well-fed, whatever life situation you find yourself in, regardless of your, your, your income level or your marital or relationship status or regardless of whether or not your college football team won or lost yesterday, like I've got the secret to how to be content. Um, and when he says that I have learned this secret, if you look there in verses 11 and 12, uh, it's interesting. He says, like in the English Bible, it says he has learned something twice. The first time he says it, he says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And then the next time he says, I have learned the secret of being content. And this is where our English language kind of fails us to an extent because those are actually two different words. Uh, the first one is just kind of the generic word for learned. That, you know, it, and we understand, I don't think I have to explain what it means to learn. But he says, I've learned what it means to be content. Okay. The second one, though, that's the first reference. That reference, that word for learn is actually used 25 times across Scripture. But then in verse 12, he says, I have learned 
the secret of being content. When he says that, uh, the phrase learned the secret in Greek is actually one word. Learned the secret is one word. This is the only time it's used in all of Scripture. Uh, this situation right here, only time this word is used, and literally it means to be initiated into the mysteries of. So Paul says, which is a much richer language, right, than I've learned the secret of being content. Paul says, I have been initiated into the mystery of being content in whatever situation I find myself. If I am in need, I have been initiated into the mystery of being content there. If I have plenty, I have been initiated into the mystery of being content there. Um, which is just, a, I, I think, a very artsy and, and impactful way of saying that. Because it implies some life experience from Paul, right? If I'm going to be initiated into something, I'm going to have to go through a process. Uh, there's going to be some experience that's built into that. I'm going to have to learn this in some very kind of meaningful and tangible ways. I've been initiated into the mysteries. That this isn't something that comes easily. This is a mystery. You've kind of got to figure it out as you go. I've been initiated into the mystery of contentment in every circumstance, in every situation. I'm reminded here also of David's words in Psalm 23 when he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or your version may say, I lack nothing. Um, and so David's words and, and Paul's words remind me that, that throughout Scripture... Um, we are referred to as sheep. Uh, we're going to come back to the secret here in a little bit, so just kind of hold that. Uh, but throughout Scripture, we're referred to as sheep. We heard it in the, in the psalm that, that Pam read for us this morning at the beginning, in Psalm 100, where it says, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Uh, in John chapter 10, uh, Jesus uses the word sheep to refer to us as people 18 times, 18 times in just this chapter, where he says things like this, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. My sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. So throughout scripture, there's this, this, this idea of, of us as sheep and, and God or Jesus as our shepherd. And this can bring about some negative connotations for us. Uh, so let me, let me just ask you, this is audience participation part. Um, why does our being referred to as sheep have some negative connotations for you? Sheep are stupid. Thank you. <laughs> that is the prevailing thought, right? And if we're honest with ourselves, we're a little bit offended that we are constantly referred to as sheep. Has anybody ever thought that? Like you read through Scripture and like I, we, we keep reading it, but I'm a little bit offended that we are just constantly referred to as sheep because there's this prevailing thought amongst us that sheep are stupid, that sheep are dumb. Uh, we even, there's even a term uh, for um, kind of people who blindly follow someone, right, called sheeple. Some of you may have heard this. This idea of if, if I just blindly give my allegiance to someone or something or some purpose, uh, we, we refer to those people as sheeple, which implies that I'm unable to think for myself uh, I'm just following in line here, and whatever they say goes because I'm too stupid to think for myself, right? I'm a sheep. And so Scripture just repeatedly calls us sheep. <laughs> uh, so what do we do with that? Well, one of the things that's interesting to me about that is that new research has shown us that sheep are actually not stupid at all and are actually incredibly intelligent. 
uh, there have been a number of studies and, and a lot of research that has been done to show us that sheep actually have very high levels of intelligence. Uh, so one of the things that sheep are really good at is uh, recognizing and remembering faces and voices. And you can hear this in Jesus' words, right? My sheep know me and they know my voice. Uh, and so modern research has told us that this is, this is very true, that, that sheep are actually very good at recognizing faces, both faces of other sheep and faces of humans. And they can remember faces and voices. They can even, even remember there was one study done uh, in 2001 that showed sheep can recognize and remember at least 50 individual faces for more than two years. Now, what I want to know is <laughs> who decided to do that research? How did you do it? <laughs> And how do you explain that to the family around Thanksgiving dinner, right? Well, for two years, I've been working on this study of how many faces sheep can remember. It's like, okay, thanks. We're not inviting Bob anymore. He's boring. Um, but I'm glad that Bob did that study for us. Um, and they've, also, they've asked, uh, so if you think that one's difficult, this one's even more difficult, I think, because there have also been studies done that show that female sheep have distinct thoughts of what makes a ram's face attractive, I don't know, fill in the blanks on how you do that, but that, it's a thought. <laughs> uh, there, there's been a, a, a somewhat well-known study done at Cambridge University, which you can go, you can Google this later. There's all kinds of writing and stuff about it. There's a study done at Cambridge where they used sheep in studies of hun Huntington's disease. And they were trying to, st to study kind of effects on Huntington's disease on people, and so they used sheep. Uh, and they found that, that in this kind of process of this, Sheep had the ability to perform high-level uh, cognitive tasks and were often able to navigate challenges in the same ways as humans and primates, sometimes doing better than humans at certain tasks. Uh, and so one of the professors involved in the study said that sheep can perform executive cognitive tasks that have never been shown to exist in any other large animals apart from monkeys. Uh, so they are able to think at very high levels when it comes to things like problem solving and figuring things out. Uh, Australian researchers believe that sick sheep may be able to seek out plants that will help them to feel better and can kind of self-medicate and cure when they're, when they're having some type of illness or ailment. Um, and then finally, um, in, in an example that I wish we had video of, years ago farmers in England reported that sheep taught themselves to roll over a cattle guard in order to get to gardens on the other side of the fence and just raided this village's gardens in England. Everybody's gardens in England, they just raided because they figured out how to roll over the cattle guard in order to get out of the pen. <laughs> no video of that this morning, but that would be great. Um, so sheep are actually very intelligent. Uh, and you can go, just Google, sheep are smart, and you'll find all kinds of studies and things like that. Um, now, if you Google the other, the opposite of that, sheep are dumb, you're going to find all kinds of examples of that too. Because that's the prevailing thought, right? Sheep are dumb. Uh, and we get that because of stories like one back in 2005 where, uh, this was in Turkey, where about 1,500 sheep just walked off a cliff because some of them started going and so the rest of them just followed. 1,500 went off the side of this cliff. The first about 450 of them died uh, before the rest of them were cushioned by all the wool at the bottom and survived. Um, right. So sheep are incredibly intelligent, but they appear to be incredibly stupid uh, and dumb, and they will just do these, these, these kind of seemingly dumb things. So how do, you, how do you rectify that? 
Why do these incredibly smart uh, and adaptive animals do repeatedly stupid and dumb things? And just so you're making the connection, that, that question could refer to sheep or people, right? <laughs> Why do incredibly smart and intelligent, intelligent and reasoned sheep or people do incredibly stupid things? Uh, and what we find is that sheep aren't stupid. They are just hardwired to follow. Uh, it is wired into their DNA and their makeup to follow. And this is what makes good leadership incredibly important for sheep, right? It's why it makes it very important that you know the voice that you're listening to, that you know the ideology that you're buying into, that you know who it is you are following. Uh, because sheep will liter literally follow whoever it is that they are following anywhere. They will follow that leader, that shepherd, to green pastures, where, as David even says, David says, um, he makes me lie down in green pastures because sometimes you literally have to make sheep stop and lay down and rest. Uh, they will follow their shepherd anywhere. They will follow them to green pastures and they will follow them right over the edge of a cliff. And so these incredibly intelligent animals can look incredibly dumb, but really it's just because it's how they're wired and how they are made. The problem for sheep isn't that they are stupid. The problem comes if they try to exist outside the way that they are designed to live and function. And so again, this is why good leadership is so incredibly important. It's why it's imperative that sheep stay together in community. Uh, and, and you can kind of hear some of this in Jesus' parable about leaving the 99 sheep in the pen to go find the one. Right? Because a sheep that has been disconnected from fellowship, from community, and from leadership is, is in grave danger and peril. Because while they are incredibly smart and intelligent in many ways, if they're out on their own, in the darkness, lost, they will have no ability to bring themselves back. They're completely reliant on the shepherd for that. Uh, it's, why, uh, sheep have come to, it's why it's important that sheep come to know who their shepherd is so that they know who to follow and can recognize that shepherd's voice above the others. We are compared to sheep not because we are dumb and stupid. Instead, we, like sheep, are wired to follow. We are in grave need of a shepherd. Uh, you can go, again, so if you Google this, you can find all kinds of sermons online about how stupid we are, how unworthy we are, all these things, because we're just a bunch of dumb sheep. Uh, and I think that really sells not only sheep short, but it sells us short too. Because um, we, are, we are gifted, we are loved, we are worthy of love from each other and from our Creator. Um, I remember growing up, we used to, to, uh, to sing this song, uh, the, in the chorus, I don't remember what song it is. Uh, I'll probably remember. I just thought of it, but I'll remember it later. Uh, where in the, the chorus it says uh, basically something like, who would God, who, is, who am I to love for such a worm as I? It had this line in the chorus. Do what? At the cross. That's it. Uh, at the cross. That, that who is such a worm as I? And I remember my mom hating that song growing up uh, because she said, yeah, yeah, we're, we're sinful people. We do different stuff. But God gave of himself because he loved us and saw us as lovable and worthy people of his love. Uh, we, we are those things, and that's okay to recognize ourselves as those things. We just have to recognize, too, that it is within us to follow. Um, and I think it's interesting that, that we kind of see sheep as stupid because of their tendency to follow in a culture where following is sometimes seen as weakness. 
Uh, we want to be leaders. We want to develop leadership. We don't want to develop following, right? Uh, but repeatedly in Scripture, that's what we're, we are called to. We are called to follow. And so when I submit then to the leading of, of my shepherd, I think that is when I begin to embody this, this posture and this perspective of gratitude because of the trust that I have in my shepherd, that I'm able to, to rejoice always when I trust my shepherd, when I trust that my shepherd uh, has good intentions for me. I'm able to have peace and comfort um, when, I, when I have this, this belief and embody this belief that, that I am following not only a good shepherd, but the good shepherd. I'm putting my hope and my trust and my life in the hands of the good shepherd, which means I'm just going to be at peace and I'm going to be comfortable no matter what situation life throws at me, I can find peace and comfort and thanksgiving and rejoicing because of who I am following as my shepherd. It is all based on complete trust in this shepherd and whoever it is that I am following. Which brings us back then to Philippians, where we have this idea of being content in whatever situation. And so Paul says, I've learned the secret to all this. After laying out all this stuff, rejoicing, finding contentment, um, giving praise in any circumstance, all that stuff. He says, all right, here's the secret to all of that. This is Philippians 4, verse 13. This is where we left off earlier. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Uh, again, in our, in our culture that values leadership over following, that values accomplishment, that values success, that values all of these types of words. We've done something interesting with this verse. Uh, you may have heard this verse I, in, in a number of different contexts, and I think a lot of times when we use this or when we hear it used, we turn it into something completely different. We almost turn it into this verse that says, I can accomplish anything through Christ who gives me strength. Uh, you've probably heard it referenced in that way before that we've turned it into this idea that whatever it is I set my mind on, wherever I put my energy and my efforts, I will find success there. I will accomplish that because I can through God who gives me strength. But that's completely almost opposite of what Paul is saying. <laughs> Paul is saying this is the secret to contentment in whatever situation you find yourself in. If you're hungry, if you're well-fed, if you're needy, if you're poor, if you're rich, Whatever it is, whatever situation you find yourself, the secret to finding contentment in that is remembering who you are connected to, where your strength comes from, and who your shepherd is. This, this isn't a way for God to rubber stamp whatever it is that you want to do. Because that reading of this verse is actually one that leads us to, to a path of discontentment, right? Because if I see this as God's going to rubber stamp whatever I set my mind and heart on, if I don't accomplish that, I've got one of two choices. I didn't try hard enough and I need to keep trying. Uh, or God has let me down. It leads to discontentment. And that, that's just not what Paul is saying. That doesn't mean we shouldn't have ambition and try to do great things. But that's not what Paul is saying in this verse. Paul is saying, when my strength lies in God and I, when I remember who I am connected to and who is my source of strength, when I remember that I am someone who is called to follow God and, and, and submit to Him as my shepherd, I'm going to be able to be content in whatever situation life throws at me because of my trust in Him, because of my faith in Him, um, and because of my ability to be content in all of those circumstances. And I think we find then that it takes work to get there. 
uh, you have to be initiated into this, this mystery of learning what that means, which means you have to navigate your way through a lot of those circumstances for yourself. It means learning by experience and, and, and kind of playing some of this out in your own life and, and, and learning what it is to, to be content in all of those different situations, which again means that following a good shepherd is really, really important. One who can lead us in the right direction, one who we can trust, and one who we can say, I can be at complete peace and comfort because I know that this shepherd has good things in store for me. Uh, so each Sunday we come around the table uh, to remember Jesus as our shepherd, as our example of faithfulness, uh, as our example of the one who gave himself fully to the will of God. Uh, and we remember his life, his sacrifice, uh, and the gift of, that we have in Jesus. And so as we sing, may we do so with gratefulness in our hearts towards God. As we sing, may we be con con considering uh, how we, we may be finding contentment in whatever situation life is throwing at us and what it looks like to trust in the strength of God in that circumstance. So would you stand, please, as we sing uh, and then share in communion together this morning. When peace like a river hearts
confession together then share in communion uh, this morning. So I'll pray the parts in white and then together we'll pray the parts in yellow. Father, we confess to each other and to you, our creator, that we fall short of being what we were created to be and what we have committed ourselves to be. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of Christ. We often seek out the easiest paths, paths of least involvement in places where we might be uncomfortable or paths of self-centeredness. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of righteousness. We confess that we have not loved you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Bring us out of darkness, Lord, and into the light of your love. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of light. Forgive us for getting so caught up in the world's trappings and its false messages of hope, that we lose sight of the hope of the kingdom, which brings healing and peace to a world in turmoil. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of peace. May we resolve to become more kingdom-minded, to be peacemakers here and now. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> 